On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, one of our hosts, Austin Fitzpatrick, leads a roundtable discussing baseball and just everything around athletic training and the sport. Austin has been working to get into the upper levels of baseball, hopefully into the pro ranks at some point, has had some experience around baseball due to COVID. It's been an interesting ride for him, but definitely something that he is really interested in. So here he is talking to athletic trainers from across the country um, at different levels of working with the sport uh, about everything baseball. So please enjoy. Without going too much further, please remember we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Check them out if you've got ideas. Um, shoot them an email, find that on their website, and we'll provide it for you as well. They're always looking for stuff. They're looking for feedback. They want to make athletic trainers' lives easier and provide products that are going to be impactful and useful to us. So with that, enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat um it's austin here and we have kind of a special one for you it's been a while since we've done a round table and this round table is especially uh, meaningful for me because i live and breathe all things baseball and we're lucky to bring athletic trainers from a variety of different settings we have a bunch of collegiate athletic trainers professional athletic trainers so Really, this episode is just dedicated to talking a lot about working in baseball um, and not only in baseball, but what baseball can, as athletic trainers, what we can bring to the profession as a whole. So without further ado, I'll kind of open it up here and I'm going to have everyone, everyone go around the room here and introduce himself. And first up on my screen is Nick Adams. So if Nick, you kind of want to introduce yourself for me. Uh, yeah, so I'm Nick. Um, right now I'm up in Boston at Suffolk University. Um, kind of got a mishmash of sports, baseball in the spring. Uh, it's my third year doing that. Um, like I said, D3 right now. I've previously been D1 sports, Army, uh, D2, so kind of had a little bit of everything. But this is my third year at Suffolk Baseball, and yeah. Awesome. All right, next I have Scott. Yeah, Scott Stansberry. Uh, been here at Notre Dame uh, since 2007 uh, with baseball primarily. I also help with football uh, in the fall. Um, and then uh, actually been, been an athletic trainer um, since 2003 and uh, have a little experience in uh, the collegiate baseball as a grad assistant. And then my first kind of full-time job, I, I was at Villanova prior to that. So um, kind of a, a big expanse of a D1 baseball primarily, but um, that the experience of football helps a little bit too. Awesome. Steven? Yeah, Steven Rozier here. Um, currently at Central Michigan University. I've been there for two months. Um, so just getting my foot in the door to D1 baseball. 
Uh, I spent the last three plus years at Lenore Ryan University, a division two in North Carolina, where I worked with football and baseball. So this is fourth year work in baseball. Uh, primarily spent most of my career at the division two level at a few other schools and my graduate assistantship as well. Awesome. And Obi? Hey, um, Obi Benavidez. Um, I am currently at Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas. Um, I've been practicing for six years. Um, this is only year, I guess, one and a half uh, with baseball. Um, prior to, to getting to Lamar, I was um, a football athletic trainer um, at a smaller private D1 uh, in Texas. So uh, relatively new to baseball. Awesome. And Allison. Uh, I'm Allison Hawking. This is my – I just finished up my second year with um, prof independent professional baseball. Um, before this, I was doing D2 baseball. Um, and then in my off season, I do um, indoor professional soccer, but um, mainly just uh, independent baseball. Awesome. All right. So now that everyone's kind of introduced myself – Low about me too. My name is Austin. I'm also a Division One baseball athletic trainer here. So um, just to kind of give you my background on that, this is my first year as a certified athletic trainer. So I was fortunate that I found the job within baseball right off the bat. Um, so I'm really excited to hear from all you guys and all your experiences as we move to the night here. But some of the topics we're going to cover tonight talking about that career path in the baseball, because again, a bunch of us are at different levels, different settings. So there's no one way you get into it. Um, talking about the life of a baseball AT. Um, and at the end here, a lot of tips and tricks, because um, you know baseball is kind of a unique sport. Baseball athletes are kind of unique as well. So we'll kind of discuss a little bit of everything tonight. Okay, and that's kind of what I wanted to open up with was some of the unique aspects of it. Because especially some of you who cover other sports, whether it be football, soccer, um, I guess I want to ask you, what are some of the more unique aspects that stand out to you guys, um, especially those who have the experience working different sports? So if anyone wants to open up with that. I'll yeah. Um, oh, go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, having um, spent a lot of time at the Division II level, I've worked with a lot of different sports. I think the biggest thing with baseball to me is just the multitude of personalities that you have within one team and egos. And it's just kind of – it's interesting to see how all of those personalities, egos – kind of mesh to to all work towards a common goal so I think that's probably one of the most unique things to me about working with baseball athletes is just the variety of personalities that you get to deal with absolutely yeah yeah I really like that I, I, it's funny like you you think of all the things that you like are close to you and then somebody says something like that and you're like yeah that kind of that kind of hits home too um, I think for me it's, I think you have to want to, like the people that work in baseball and do it for a long time. And obviously I've done it for a long time. This is my 13th year, 14th year at Notre Dame. Like 
you have to want to be out there for three hours before a game starts. Really have to want to do that to enjoy what you're doing at baseball. And like people are like, oh my gosh, like you're, like the lacrosse athletic trainers of the world, when the clock hits zero, they're done. Like, and I say lacrosse, but it's any sport, soccer, volleyball, whatever, like basketball. And we just, we might be there for five or six hours in a game because we go for, you know, 17 or 18 innings. Um, so I think you want to have to, you have to want to be there. And, and I say that also because for me working with football, especially on a Saturday afternoon home game, I'm here at seven o'clock for eight o'clock practice um, for fall practice. And then we might have a kickoff at two or three 30 in the afternoon. And so it's a 12 to 14 hour day for me. And, but I enjoy it because I can flip a switch and go to another sport you know, and so, but it's unique to baseball to be there for five or six hours and, and enjoy it, so. Right, absolutely. Um, kind of building off of what Steve said, like, just so many different personalities. I think baseball has way more, like, specialties. You have a pitcher, of a lever, a closer, someone who's a pinch runner or a pinch hitter. They're all good at these specific things. Um, and you have to kind of take that as it is like some if someone is a you know a pinch runner and they straighten their hamstring obviously their role in the team is either completely cut out or significantly diminished and I just think that's pretty unique to where not a lot of other sports are going to have that right I would agree I think the thing that I it kind of took me a while to figure out and understand was how um uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like they are, they have like their set programs and their set like ways of doing things and they're so superstitious and picking up on their superstition and running with it. I mean, like injury wise, like you could take someone's ankle and they hit a home run that game. Now you have to take their ankle every single day for the rest of the year, <laughs> even though, you know, they might not need it anymore, but they think, oh, I hit a home run with my ankle tape. I got to keep doing it. Um, and just, then just learning, like, the strategy side of it. It's just crazy. You, people who don't know baseball that well don't realize, like, the strategy of baseball. And, like, once you do, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so invested. Like, I could watch this four-hour game and not get bored. But if you don't understand the strategy side of it, it's like, oh, another inning, here we go. But the biggest thing was, like, that superstition to me and just figuring out, like, what each one's superstition is and using it towards your advantage. Absolutely. Um, so I guess I kind of wanted to dig a little deeper into that because that was actually one of my next questions is about working with the baseball athlete versus working with the football player, the lacrosse player, and as Allison said, um, navigating some of those attitudes because as, you, as I'm sure you guys have run into, we have a lot of superstitions. We have a guy who you know, they do their pregame stretch before they go out on the mound. If they pitch well, they'll keep coming back to you. If not, they might try to change it up. We're at a place where we have two athletic trainers for our baseball team. So that's definitely happened this fall. So I guess I want to kind of open it up to you guys and talk about how you navigate those personalities a little bit. I know that it's, I know that it's hard to kind of contextualize that, but um, 
for me, I think one of the first things that I realized was kind of the difference between hitters and those pitchers, right? Hitters tend to be – pitchers tend to be a little more careful, a little more uh, habitual. Like I, that was something that was new to me because while I had some baseball experience as a student, being at full-time is really kind of eye-opening for me and trying to pick up on some of those nuances myself. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, oh, good, God. <laughs> well, Go ahead, what I was going to say, what I was going to say is like, I, I learned kind of early on, like, and I, and I think for most of the, most of us, like we don't really take that kind of stuff personal if they don't want to come back to us and get a stretch and that kind of stuff. I'll always ask the guy like, Hey, do you want to stretch again? Or, and, and most of the time it's just a quick pass off. Like, no, I'm good. And you kind of let it go and whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think for in, in those terms, like just being flexible and adaptable, you know, a guy might come to you one week and then he, you might not see him for two or three weeks and he wants to get the same stretch that he had two or three weeks ago. Um, so just being flexible and adaptable in those situations and dealing like Allison was saying, like dealing with the different personalities and the different superstitions and guys, I know a guy that likes to have certain kind of tape on his wrist and it, serves no purpose other than decoration I like to say um but he likes it a certain way and hey if it gets you hey if it gets you if you're three for four that day no problem I'll do it all day <laughs> yeah we like to call that eyewash in our league yes <laughs> yes yes very much um I think it's I think it's funny when you talk about it because it it the superstitions almost play to their personalities. If you kind of pay attention to them too, like I'm, I'm thinking back to being at Lenore Ryan. I had our Friday night guy. He was, he was a little quirky at times and he just had this routine that it had to be at 11 o'clock every day. He was coming in and he was going to do a moist hot pack. And then he was going to do these exercises and then he was going to disappear and he was going to come back. But that's just, that's what he did because he did it one time and he threw seven innings of like one run baseball. And that's just what it became. So it, it's kind of funny how I've noticed with personalities, just the way he is off the field and with other things, how they kind of match those superstitions to their personality. So part of me feels like you get to know them, you get to know their, those superstitions. And like, like Scott said, we don't, I don't think anyone takes it personal with it's, Hey, I'm getting stretched this game and nah, maybe not this one. Like I kind of pay attention. I always like to kind of keep notes of who likes what and pay attention to, Oh, all of a sudden, you know, they had a bad outing. Now we're not doing this. Right. Have you guys have any kind of a little bit off topic from that, but have you guys ever had any super weird things? I know that we have a guy who, uh, he has the same meal every time he goes out to pitch. It's usually three Chick-fil-A sandwiches and two cookies. It's, I don't know how you can go and pitch with that, but he does it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I know I had one kid, not quite that odd, but one kid. So it had to be before batting practice, but um, – or sorry, after batting practice, but before I.O., he had to get both wrist tapes – both wrists taped, and then a double fist bump. 
otherwise he'd be searching for me and he wouldn't be able to like concentrate or anything else until that happened because one game we did that and he went like four for four. So. <laughs> right. Awesome. So I guess like diving a little bit more, we've talked about navigating some of the personalities a little bit. Let's talk about a little bit more of the challenges, I guess, of working in baseball. I think Scott kind of alluded to it a bit, talking about, you know, when you're at a baseball game, you're there for essentially six, seven hours, right? And I guess I just kind of want to walk into some of the, talk about some of the more tough aspects, especially since you guys and Scott in particular have had a lot of experience with baseball. So what are some of the tough obstacles that you run into as a baseball athletic trainer and kind of how have you kind of worked to resolve those or work through those yourselves? Now, I mean, me, well, so with professional baseball, one of the biggest challenges, and it took me the whole first year to figure out and understand was um, with my players, they get paid. So they have to play now and the coaches want them to play. The players want to play. So trying to, if there is an injury, one, getting them back as soon as possible, or even having them play while you're still trying to get like fix the injury and get them healed. It took me forever to try to find that happy medium. Um, Cause in, I mean, in, when I was working at D1, it's like, Oh, well, you, you don't have your, your, your next game isn't until like the weekend. So we have all week to get you ready. Whereas with our league, we play every single day. And if they have to miss two days, well, that's two games, possibly three if we have a double header. Um, so that was one of our, my biggest challenges was trying to find that happy medium of, okay, are they capable of playing or can they be held out and then trying to work with them mentally and physically on getting them back to the game? All right. Um, so I guess I kind of want to go further with that one. And Steven, especially someone who's bagging at both D1 and D2, I guess I want to ask you if you've noticed the difference there, kind of the changes you've seen between that D1 and D2, and if there have been challenges with that or kind of unique aspects making that transition. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is one, the sheer volume of people I have to deal with. Um, there's a roster limit at D1, so that helps. Otherwise, I had 65 kids at Division Two. Um, but in terms of challenges, I think the, the biggest thing that's been an adjustment for me is, is moving up, just having a few more, uh, modalities and, and toys for lack of better term, you know, when you're talking about multiple Mark pros or complex units or different things like that. And guys that have, are, are pretty set in their routines and their ways and kind of stepping in and having to learn, um, what, what they're about, how the, how the program is done, what these guys are looking for and what they're expecting. Um, because now I have the time to devote 100% of my day to them and to baseball. So I think probably the biggest challenge in that, in that step has just been understanding the different things that I actually have the time to do and working individually. I've spent a lot of time one-on-one -on -one with our pitchers, you know, sitting down, 
hey, what do you do before you throw? What do you do after you throw? Where are your problem areas? You know, right away when you're done pitching, where, where are you having problems the next day? Um, so I think just the challenge of sitting there and being able to do that and stay focused on that and kind of have that understanding um, that a lot of these kids, and this isn't taking anything away from the guys I worked with at the division two level. Cause I worked with some great athletes and great kids at that, that level, but they're a little more you know, motivated. They want to do these things. Um, and, and again, that's just the, the step up in a little higher level um, athlete from the mental side, as much as the physical side. So I think um, it's just been a, a bit of a challenge to kind of step into that role and get that understanding of each and every individual and work with them to try to find that happy medium um, in ways that I can help them with what they're already doing that's working for them. So it's kind of been more that than anything right now um, because I haven't got into a season at the division one level. So I'm sure there's going to be a different answer to that if you ask me in four months. Right. And, you know, I was going to say, as you were talking there, Stephen, like, I, I think it's interesting when you say that to have time to sit down, because I think Nick, you're going to hodgepodge of different sports at the division three level. And I went to school at a division three school. So I, I get that, you know, you have one athletic trainer that may cover two or three teams. Um, and I think the difference there is we have the time, you know, I have baseball, football, but there are four other people that cover football. So I don't have to dedicate time to football practice and I can dedicate my time to baseball um, and sit down with those guys or sit down in the off season when we finish fall ball and go over what worked for you, what didn't. Um, I kind of do that with our freshmen when they get here, but then the other guys, it's like, okay, what worked for you and what didn't. Um, so I think that would be a huge difference. I think that's something probably, and Nick, I don't know your situation, but I feel like that if you're dealing with a lot of sports, you probably don't have a whole lot of time to, to sit down with, uh, with, you know, 30 guys or 40 guys or whatever it might be. So the nice thing for me is um, with in the, in the spring, normally not this spring, as we discussed earlier, but normal spring, it'll, we really only have, three, four sports going on. So a lot of the time I'll be splitting time uh, with baseball um, with Rick, our uh, head athletic trainer. So I'll, you know, make the trip to Florida with the guys for uh, spring training, do those 10 days of them um, and then come back and we'll kind of split up games so that no one is really overworked and burnt out by the end of it. Um, so sometimes um, the guys will come to me for rehab. Sometimes they'll come to Rick. So much like you guys, I have that time to really split up and get that one-on-one -on -one time and activity. Um, so yeah. it's actually really nice where I can get that sports specifics up with them. So yeah, one thing I was going to – oh, go ahead, Stephen. I was just going to say that's one thing that I've, I've really enjoyed um, in the transition is like having that time to sit down and – and do it and specifically make it for that athlete. Whereas when I was at the division two, you know, working football and baseball, I've got 200 athletes between those sports. And it's like, I don't have time to generalize a rehab, like to mm -hmm. well, individualize a rehab. It's more of a generalized rehab that you're going to get. Um, so yeah, I I've really enjoyed that. And it's, it's been a, a different challenge, but it's a, it's a good challenge. 
One other challenge I was going to talk about was, and I, I'm curious because I want to get Obi's take on this too, because I think you have, or and and Austin too. But the four, there's four of us on here that work in the north, <laughs> and I think I think from a travel perspective, obviously D3 quite a bit different travel situation than the D1 schools. Uh, professional baseball different than than college um, in some respects. Like. I think one challenge I know that we deal with, and, and I'm sure Steven's going to experience it a little bit here come up in a couple months, is, you know, we're on the road for the first five or six weeks of the season, and it's leave on Wednesday or Thursday and get home Sunday night late and turn around and do it three days later for the first five weeks. And then when we get home in the middle of March, it might be 35 or 40 degrees. We have turf, so we're, we can play when it's cold and maybe a little bit of snow, just brush it off. But then we're going like Monday or we're going Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at home, you know, five days out of the seven. So I think that's a, that's a challenge for Northern schools versus the Southern schools. I'm, I'm curious to get Obi's take on it. Cause I'm sure you guys are home for a bunch and then travel, or, you know, you kind of mix it up Austin, same way. And, and I'm sure Allison in the spring when it gets cold, is probably in the same situation, Nick. And Stephen, I know, hasn't experienced it yet, but he's a little bit further north than I am, so. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, I've been – we're pretty fortunate where we uh, uh, where we are uh, temperature-wise. Um, you know, we had a couple schools come to us, and listening to their, their travel schedule um, just made me realize how fortunate we were um, in that regard. So, uh, yeah, we had a couple schools come from us, uh, from up north. Um, and then we just, we stayed pretty, pretty local for the most part. We have, you know, Texas A&M, uh, UT, LSU are all pretty, pretty close. So, um, originally we had, you know, before COVID, um, I think we had planned to probably go back to LSU. Uh, we played at Tulane right before, uh, everything got shut down. So um, travel wise is, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty good for us. I would say just specifically where Beaumont is, we do have, you know, we had two uh, pretty major hurricanes hit uh, back to back. So that was probably the one thing that, that really uh, pushed us back in fall. But um, other than that, like I said, mostly, mostly sunny for us here. So. Right. And for me, so I went to school up in the north, up in Wisconsin. So I, I got to experience some of the uh, wonders of spring baseball there. So it's <laughs> definitely being kind of a nice change. Um, I'm at a big enough school that we don't do a whole lot of travel. But I, I do kind of understand where you're coming from, just from having a little glimpse of what that spring is in the north. I know that when I was... Um, doing my school, we had, I think we had a two out of a three game series. It was, uh, wasn't a snowed out, it was cold out. We had to cancel, couldn't reach the temp. So I know that that's definitely uh, experiencing. So that was one I tried to forget a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we get that too. Uh, our field is directly on Boston Harbor. So, and it's right by the airport, so it's cold, it's windy, it's miserable, <laughs> not enough layers ever. 
Right. All right. So I guess I want to kind of talk a little bit now about baseball second training and kind of some of the big takeaways we can take from working in baseball that you take to others that you can take to other sports. So Scott working with football, Nick covering your couple sports. What are some some of the bigger things that you've learned from baseball that you can apply to yourself as a general practitioner in clinching? Um, I just kind of want to get your guys' viewpoints on that, kind of what you've learned. So I know you all have had a bunch of experience so far. So I think one thing for me is in the fall, I have women's volleyball. So that, you know, repetitive overhead motion, it's very, very similar in like injuries that I'll see in the rehabs and the, um, the throwing motion. So a lot of that will cross over back and forth. But I think baseball specific is going back to those personalities. Different people like to do things different ways. And that really kind of opened my eyes of like, not all these athletes, this one athlete's not going to benefit as much from this certain exercise or this certain treatment as this other one might. Um, and really just trying to adapt and everybody likes to do their own thing. And one thing may work for someone where it may not work for someone else. Right. Yeah. I think going along with that, you know, we're talking about personalities and what works and what doesn't. And, and one thing that I've come, so helping with football, um, our, one of our kickers for football actually gets his plant leg ankle taped. Um, for practices and games and you know he's that's just his thing and whatever but it's very I mean it's very much a Scott needs to take me on game day um, type of thing and he has a little pad that he puts on his on his foot too and but it's very much a it's a superstition thing but I think it gives him a little bit of confidence too Um, and so that's one thing that I think I've kind of carried over into football. Um, and in and, and the reverse side of it, like one of my roles, um, depending on the game, is uh, one of my, myself and another athletic trainer act as our medical observer. Um, this year is different since we're in conference, but typically when we're independent, um, we're kind of our own medical observer. So we're up in the booth. And I'll be honest, like I think it's made me better on the baseball field, um, in practice and in games, just being more aware of things on the field. And then I've kind of transitioned it back over to baseball, um, just being more aware. So I think we could do that in baseball too, right? You're more aware, you're paying attention to every pitch, what that pitch was or what the specific pitch was that an injury occurred in a shoulder or elbow or whatever it might be. Um, so just being more aware of those things in your surroundings and, and those sorts of things to kind of big picture type things to take into other sports or other settings. Yeah, I would, and I would agree. I'd uh, to kind of piggyback off what Nick said, like the, the different personalities. Uh, baseball players remind me I've worked with track and field as a GA. Baseball players kind of remind me of track and field athletes. They're hyper aware of their bodies. Um, track and field a little more in their legs obviously pitchers in baseball with their arm their shoulder if something doesn't feel right they let you know Uh, but that that personality and the differences and sitting down and talking and understanding and learning kind of different ways that each one of them deal with things has helped 
helped me carry things into other sports. And like Scott said, I've worked men's soccer a little bit at the division two level too. And there's so much going on there that you just have to be aware and ready and watching at all times. So I, I think both of those points that Nick and Scott just made were great on things that we can use as baseball ATs um, and we can take from other sports to help us on the baseball field. I think um, for me coming from football where, um, you know, you can really, you have so many tools to use, uh, you know, you have all sorts of shoulder harnesses, the braces, all these things that you don't really use in baseball. Um, and then from what I've, from what I've, you know, experienced programs that you, you know, create, whether it's mobility or strengthening that are, you know, you don't really see as, it's not like you're, you know, you're lifting, you know, 50 pound dumbbells to strengthen. It's you're strengthening such small muscles that do so much. You really see like the positive effects of that where a lot of times in football, you really just have to get your linemen through the next game. They come in Sunday, you do some feel good. You know what I mean? It's, it's a very different process, but being able to see these small changes that you can make in someone's mechanics or, uh, you know, even core strength or single leg, you know, strength and stability, how big of a difference it can make is just something that I think isn't utilized as much in sports like, like football or soccer, but definitely have a place there. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I see that. I mean, I see that every Sunday. It's like, get them back, get them, get them refreshed on Sunday because, you know, Monday they're in film and Tuesday we're back at it versus we come off a weekend and you get back Sunday night. For us, we get back Sunday night late and we've got a midweek game at four or five o'clock on Tuesday. I tell my guys all the time, like Monday is, listen, it's your off day, but I want you in the training room as much as you, as much as you need to be to be ready to go on Tuesday. And so like Monday is my day to like get them better, I guess you without, you know, or get them game ready, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, and, and I, I agree. Like, I don't think some other sports have that rush mentality sometimes. Right. All right. So I, we've talked about a lot of the unique aspects talking about the personality the game schedule, the demand of it. So what I want to ask you guys now is give us a piece of advice. What's one thing we're going for kind of baseball hacks here? What's a must have, a must know, kind of a hack to a baseball life to make it, make it a little bit easier for yourself? Can bring, we food. bring food with you. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say – I was going to say pack snacks. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Seeds, trail mix, protein bars, whatever you want, but bring food. Yeah. 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 yeah you're going to be hungry and yeah. they're going to ask you for food. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So one thing, and I can, I'll, I'll freely say this. And like one thing that my guys give me a hard time about is I, I get our managers when they make the little snack run or we'll have the, you know, the PB and J's and stuff in the dugout and whatnot. I was like, Hey, grab me a couple Cokes. Coca-Cola's when you, you know, when you go to the store and it's, it's now a thing, like that's my thing on, on game days to have. And the guys just bust my chops about it. But I'm like, guys, like I'm, listen, this is what gets me through the game. I'm just going to be as superstitious as you. Like, this is what gets me mm -hmm. through the game. If I get a Coke and I'm, you know, 
if if I haven't opened it yet and we've got a shutout going, it ain't. I'm not touching it. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's oh, yeah. one thing for me. Um, one thing I, you know, I wouldn't be at Notre Dame if I didn't network when I was a grad assistant. Um, when I was a grad assistant, I was at Villanova. We were in the Big East, and we came out here twice in my two years. We came out of here back-to-back years, actually, and I met the baseball guy who happened to be also football, and, you know, three or four years, or I guess two years later, after the second year, he's taking football or he's taking baseball off his plate and going strictly football and the baseball job opens, they create a position. It's just baseball. And that was my way of reaching out and I'm interested and here we go. And 14 years later, I'm still here. So for me, it's networking, introducing yourself to the other athletic trainer before the game. Even if you know each other, they may know somebody or have somebody in the dugout that, that you might want to meet or, they may want to meet somebody on your team, your staff. Um, so that's my thing is, is networking, introducing yourself and, and building a network of, and Obi can relate to this. I think Austin can too. Like we have the college baseball athletic trainers, um, you know, group message, email, chain, um, all of that stuff I think is based off of networking and being a part of that group. I think we're an interesting group. We're kind of like the, the baseball guys in pro baseball, the P-Bats, like they're kind of their own group and they kind of hang out together and they, they run together. And um, so that's, for me, it's the networking piece and, and building those relationships. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And that's funny that you say that about the Cokes because I, I always have a different candy bar every game. <laughs> so I would get, I'd get stick about, oh, what, what candy bar Steven got today? Um, and if we won and we were winning, it was the same candy bar every time. Um, but I think, I think one of the things that I would say is, is just try to be a sponge and learn as much from everyone that's in around has been in baseball, because there's, there's no clear cut way to do it one way or the other. When, whenever you look at anything about the shoulder, there's no 100% definitive. Um, you can learn something from everyone. I don't think uh, there's one one clear way to do it. Everyone does it a little different, and everyone has had success. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be where we are. Um, so I think just just be a sponge um, and be willing to learn different techniques, ideologies, methodologies from other people as you as you go along. And that includes coaches, I think, too. Like there's a For reason sure. there. The the head coach, the assistant coach, the pitching coach, like they will absolutely know more than you in some aspect of the game. So ask them questions just as much as other athletic trainers. Sure. I would agree. I, mean, I would have to say, oh. I would have to say the same, especially being a little bit newer to baseball and, um, you know, not football. I don't want to say it's easy to understand, but there's just, I feel like there's just so much more to baseball as far as how the game is played. Um, and, you know, I ask questions. I talk to the guys a lot and just, like, if I don't understand something or if I want to know more, like, I've, I've been pretty – I've pushed myself to ask questions just because, you know, sometimes you just need to know those things in order to help somebody get better. Um, and, you know, same – especially our pitching coach, he is um, – you know, he's great and we've worked really well together. Um, but, there again, there are certain things that he's going to know that – I, I just don't, and I think you know, collaborating with your with your coaching staff is going to be um, is only going to help you uh, in the long run. 
I would agree. Even, I mean, I've learned a lot from just my players asking them questions of what they, what they do, what they used to do, what they've seen in other um, programs that they were in. Um, but then another thing is just accepting if you don't know an answer and saying, and saying, I don't know, but I will look it up and get back to you or I'll ask someone else and get back to you. I think a lot of times we're afraid to admit that we might not know something. So we make something up and then um, we lose trust in our athletes because they end up because every athlete goes on WebMD and looks their diagnosis <laughs> up. And then they're like, well, you were wrong. So I think just being willing to accept that, yeah, I might not know the answer, but I'll get back to you. Um, but yeah, and then even just reaching out to strength and conditioning coaches, PTs, doctors, team physicians, um, and just collaborating with everyone so you are constantly learning and growing in your profession yeah I think for me I mean I've had I've been lucky I've had a lot of we've had a couple coaching changes since I've been here um we but I've been lucky to have the same pitching coach now for uh 11 years and he was the one holdover in the last coaching change we had and I think the biggest thing is him and I like we talk about each guy as much as we can um and what is working for them, what's not. Um, they have a lot of trust in him and I to know that we're not going to steer them wrong or, or do any of that. And, and I think what, what Allison said, like strength coaches, and my strength coach has been our strength coach now for three years, and she's awesome, um, you know, and she's great with the guys, and she's a little bit – it's interesting, like guys are like – like when we travel, it's like, oh, you have a female strength coach? Like it, some people don't realize that – like she's pretty good at what she does. And she actually lifts like Olympic lifts, like in competition. So she can outlift some of our guys. So our guys have a ton of respect for her um, in what she's explaining to them. And I've learned a ton from her in just what her program is and how different it was from the, from the previous person we had. Um, but what is, what is working for us. And so I, I think that's all great points. Be collaborative, be a sponge, listen, talk. I probably, you know, sometimes I feel like I could coach, you know, my own team sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know how you guys feel, but, um, but no, I think, I think those are all important things that, uh, that are good for baseball athletic trainers to, you know, people get just getting into baseball to know, I think it's great OB that you're doing that and, working together with your pitching coach. I think that's, that'll carry you a long way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that point of the, the relationship with the strength coach is huge because you can, you can knock out so many things there if, if you're both on the same page and you can utilize that to your, your advantage. I, I think it's a little bit of times underutilized what the strength coach can do for a program. Um, I've been lucky where I've worked that, the coaches that I've worked with are big in the weight room and having them in there. And I've seen benefits from it compared to other people that I know where they just don't do that much lifting and the problems that they've had. Nick, Nick, I'd be curious, like at the D three level with obviously maybe not having as an extensive strength staff as some D one schools. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, how do you guys handle that particular aspect of it? So Rick, um, our head athletic trainer is also our head strength coach. 
Um, so he is, there's three of us at Suffolk. Um, so we all are constantly working closely together. So it's three athletic trainers, who's also the head strength coach. So it's very easy to be collaborative and know what's going on in the weight room, know where people are having deficiencies or weaknesses or imbalances and really adapt those um, treatments and rehabs and practices so that everything in the weight room, uh, game day, practices, treatments, it's all cohesive and kind of working together to, you know, optimize performance. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. I, I'm kind of curious to hear from Allison kind of on the same thing with the independent league being um, how that situation kind of works. As in like how, like in what way? Just in terms of the relationship with strength, because I, I don't know a ton about the independent league, but mm -hmm. I know like I think of minor league baseball and a lot of that is AT strength coach. So I was kind of curious okay. what the dynamic like is there. Yeah. So actually, this the team I'm with, this is our second, well, going on our third year. So the first year we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. So it was all on me. Um, to have to develop like a program, a lifting program, a, a maintenance program, a fitness program. But this past year, we had we ended up getting a strength and conditioning coach, and him and I would collaborate probably daily on how everyone's doing. So he would create individualized workout plans for each athlete, depending on their position, their level. Um, and what their goals are. And then also he would talk to me and be like, Hey, are there any injuries that we need to work? Like strength things we need to work on. Um, are there any restrictions that they have and whatever I see uh, at the games, I would relate to him and we would kind of bounce ideas and treatments and rehab protocols off of each other, which is phenomenal. He would come to um, preseason and would just make sure like he would be at all the practices during preseason and, um, teaching them right ways to stretch, right ways to, you know, get their bodies ready for a game. Um, and then we would just collaborate, I would say, daily. And we'd even get the coaches involved and make sure everyone's on the same page. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. A lot, of, a lot of good advice here. And I know that I personally am fortunate. We have two strength coaches that we work with and – probably spend the most time with them out of any of the other staff members within the program. So kind of illustrating that importance of communication. Um, previously where I've been, their strength coach was their athletic trainer before he made that transition. So when you have relationships like that, where you understand kind of where both of you are coming from, it makes things a whole lot easier for everyone. So definitely a lot of good advice. Um, thank you all for that. Um, now kind of what I want to do is I want to move into our AT chat five questions. So these are kind of the questions that we ask everyone at the end of the episode, except we've, uh, kind of thrown a curveball in here a little bit and we've modified them a little bit for uh, baseball. So I think I'll start with from the top left corner of my screen. So I'll start with Nick and I'll have you guys go around and answer these individually. First question, where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? So kind of set that example. 
And you can address that as a, as a professional as a whole or in the baseball setting. Um, I think kind of actually going back to what we were just talking about, um, more and more strength and conditioning is going to be involved. Um, I think it's a largely uh, underutilized aspect of um, the uh, athletic sports medicine type world is utilizing those strength and conditioning coaches because, um, you know, between hitting, pitching, throwing, all that's coming from the hips, it's coming from the core, just the rotator cuff. And a lot of the time, those strength and conditioning coaches are going to be able to focus more on those um, sports-specific movements and large body movements, whereas we'll focus on, you know, the rotator cuff strains and the lat strains or whatever the case may be. Um, so I just think it's going to mesh a lot more with strength conditioning. Strength and conditioning will be like in the dugout more so, and those two different um, career paths are just going to sort of intertwine a little bit more as we go along. Awesome. Scott? Yeah, you know, I, that, that's a great point. And I think that's going to be a huge piece, especially in baseball, but I think across the board in athletic yeah. training. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think for me, um, and, and it, this is going to expand into not just baseball. I think you're seeing it with some of the um, – the training modules with the, you know, the, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank now, but like the polar and the, I forget what motion thing we use for football here, drawing mm -hmm. a blank, but the analytics of movement of injury handling, like just breaking down the analytics of things and applying that to how we're handling injuries. Um, you know, Stan Conti is doing a great job of breaking down that stuff out on the West coast um, and starting to find trends in baseball injuries, whether that's soft tissue stuff or ulnar collateral ligament or shoulder. I think what you're going to see specifically in baseball, but I think you're already starting to see a transition of utilizing that data to and applying it into rehab, applying it into the weight room. Um, and so I think that's going to come, that's going to start to, change how we how we view things how we treat things um workloads all that stuff is going to be is going to be an important piece to what we're what we're doing absolutely obi um i mean i definitely agree with scott there's i think specifically with baseball i think in the next five to ten years i, I feel like baseball is almost like a specialty within athletic training. Um, there's just so much that you really do have to consider, like I said, not to discredit any other sport, but just because of how, especially a pitcher, how fine-tuned they have to be, um, you know, again, from the ground up. Um, it really takes to me a lot of, a lot of knowledge, a lot of work uh, to maintain someone that's, you know, throwing 90 plus miles an hour um, and keeping them healthy. Um, but technology, I think, is going to be huge. You know, biomechanics, um, we use the modus sleeves. Um, I, you know, I think they have their place. And not, for me, they're not the end-all, be-all. But I think those are just – that's just another tool that we're adding um, to the care of our, uh, you know, our athletes. Um, and then the other thing, too, that I think is kind of – is really um, underutilized is nutrition. Um, I know not everyone is – able to have, you know, a, a dietitian on their staff, but um, 
there's just so many things that you can do from a nutrition standpoint, I think, to help your performance, uh, especially within baseball with, uh, you know, I'm sure we all know those athletes that load up on NSAIDs and there's just other options um, that you can use that are, you know, healthier for your body, but, you know, also maybe have some sort of anti-inflammatory um, component to it. All right. Steven. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, all three of those points have been great. Um, and I and my thought was kind of along the same lines of what Scott said. We're going to get more into data and analytics and understanding um, different trends throughout the kinetic chain, I think, that are going to help us understand the shoulder even more. Um, the shoulder, the elbow, what, 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 whatever it may be, um, to kind of help understand how different areas and I, we already have some of that but i think some of this data that we're going to continue to get is going to help us see different trends outside of just looking at hip internal external rotation you know we might look more at ankle dorsiflexion big toe flexion um, different things like that uh, is what i kind of see and then the other thing that i've thought of a lot and i know we talk I've talked to our coaches about it and they've kind of made it a priority within the program. And we have it within a survey that we do daily is sleep. Um, we, in a survey that we have our guys fill out daily, we ask them how many hours of sleep did you get last night? Do you feel rested today? Um, just that recovery aspect that you get from sleep and the, the benefits that come with it. I think that's another area that athletic training, not just in baseball, but as a whole, um, is headed and looking more into. Right. And Allison. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, we're going to move towards more looking at the physiological side and understanding how the parasympathetic and the sympathetic systems work and how they regulate and how that is going to lead to recovery. I think we'll start looking at that more and being like, okay, something's off in their physiological system, which is why they aren't recovering as quickly or why they're having all these injuries. Um, and with technology, we're going to be able to do that a lot more. Um, and then, yeah, also going with um, what everyone else was saying with, you know, I think athletic trainers in general, I mean, we're slowly making progress in people understanding what we do, who we are and how important we are. And I think over the next couple of years, we're going to get more respect and we're going to be able to do more within our profession that will help our athletes in the long run. But with all this technology that's coming out, there's going to be so much more room for us to continue to grow and to continue to help those athletes in the long term and the short term. Awesome. So this question actually kind of piggybacks off a little bit of what we're talking about here. We'll start back at the top here with Nick, but what has been one resource that you found through your athletic training career that you found the most influential? And that again, can be general athletic training, can relate to baseball, however you want to open it up. Um, I think my peers, um, Situation events like doing things like this, where talking to other athletic trainers, getting perspectives, other experiences, um, and just putting yourself out there as much as much as possible, so that you can you know absorb as much information as possible and kind of apply it where um, 
where, where and when necessary in your practice. I mean, try to absorb as much as possible from people that have been through it already so that you don't make mis- the same mistakes or whatever the case may be. Right. Scott? Yeah, just piggybacking off of that, um, you know, for me, I was lucky enough that when I took the job here and, and when I took the job at the time, Notre Dame was a pretty successful program. Um, and then they had a coaching change, a coach left, and we've kind of been kind of cruising along. But for me, it was the guy, I was lucky enough that the guy that I replaced was still here. Um, and so talking about Nick and using your peers, like to have him here when I started to make that transition easier, you know, they didn't have to learn a new, they had to learn a new person but the older guys still had him to kind of go to from time to time. And that was okay. And I never, I never, I actually like embrace that mm-hmm. um, as a young athletic trainer. Um, and, and, but I tell you what, it helped me when we were on the road and I'm, you know, learning from him as he's taking care of these guys. So when we're on the road and I have to take care of those guys one-on-one, it, it was super easy um, and it made that transition um, a lot easier. But I think for me, um, just having the support of the coaching staffs that I've had and my peers, but more my coaching staff, um, having the coaching staffs that I've had and been super supportive of myself and our sports medicine program in general and our team physicians um, and to allow us to kind of do our jobs. Um, like Allison was saying, there's so much that we are exposed to and can do. Um, and I think having that support, you build respect across your program. Um, and as an athletic trainer, just in general, if you're the only athletic trainer at a high school, like just open yourself up, be a sponge, do things, offer to do things. Like those are the resources that you're doing something, but it's a resource that you can go back to and say, Hey, look, I did this. Like I have experience in this and, and it can help you go a long way. Um, so I, that's for me, it's having the support structure and, and having them let, allow you to do your job, like, and not put a whole ton of stress on you. Um, makes things, it just makes life and work just a little bit more tolerable and easier <laughs> on the tough days. Absolutely. Um, Obi. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty similar to, to what Nick and Scott said. Um, I think just really being able to rely on the network that I've built, um, you know, because sports medicine is, is really just, again, about collaboration. You have different areas of medicine within one, all of them, you know, there to take care of a student athlete. Um, but I've just, I've learned from, you know, strength coaches, again, I've worked with some amazing, uh, dietitians, uh, neuropsychs, you know, hand and rest specialists, and just really taken something from everyone that I've kind of run into, um, and use that in, in my clinical practice. And that's been, um, extremely helpful for me, but I think my patients have also benefited from that. Right. Steven? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Mentors, peers, they're there for a reason. You have them, utilize them, right? Um, It's one thing that I I take a lot of pride in is being able to call some of my friends and, hey, I'm having some trouble here. What have you done with this in the past? So I think 
I think utilizing that, but just to give another answer. So it's not just the same one throughout um, one, one person that I really like to, to read their articles or watch videos or have kind of reference to um, is Mike Reinold in baseball. He's a, he's a big name PT. Um, he's got great content. It's, it's a place that I've gone to learn a lot of things um, or help myself understand some things that maybe I didn't have an answer to or just get new fresh ideas in my head. Um, so Piers and, and Mike Reinold and what he does is great for baseball profession in the medicine world. Awesome. And Allison. Yeah, I agree with all of you on the peers and um, your mentors. But another thing is different experiences. I mean, if you get the opportunity to try a different sport, a different event, um, go with it and do it because you learn new things in every different sport that you cover and that you can carry on to baseball and any other sport you're working. Um, and especially if you can get the chance to work odd sports that you've never worked before, like um, ultimate Frisbee or bike races or just something different because you'll learn something new that you can incorporate into your own practice. Awesome. All right. And this one is kind of a fun one here. If you could change or eliminate one thing, whether that's modality, common practice, mindset, so on, in the field of athletic training, what would it be? Well, start up at the top with Nick here. Um, I think that there is – take a risk with this answer, but mm -hmm. – there is no treatment or anything that you can never use. It's always, everything has its place, right? Ultrasound catches a lot of flack because people say it doesn't really do much. Ice is getting more and more um, pushback. But I think those, still th those things still have their place, whether it be in a specific case, a specific athlete that has used it before and has liked it in the past. Uh, I just don't think that we should completely discount anything at all times because everything may have a use. Right. Scott? I like that answer a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, this one's fresh in my head because I, I had to kind of elaborate on this with our team this year. Um, and it was that the training room – the athletic training room um, is not a bad place. And I think a lot of our athletes, especially now, specifically in baseball, but I think this crosses everything. This isn't just a baseball answer. Um, but baseball, I think we're just – I see it more because I, I don't think our baseball players at this age, in the college setting, in the younger college setting, like truly understand – that the guys that play at the major league level and Allison can probably understand and, and can probably um, echo this a little bit, like at the professional level, they're not just avoiding the training room. Like they're in there every day to take care of their bodies, to, to get treatment, whatever. And so for me, it was telling our guys, and, and this is something I just push out, like, this is not a bad place. Like I want you to come in and treat a sore ankle with any modality that, you know, that we can use, like Nick said, 
to get you to feel better for two days. I'd rather you come in for treatment in two days than to miss a week and a half because you, you didn't take care of yourself. And so for me, it's getting that mindset of the training room is a bad place. If you go there, you're not going to play. You're going to be on the injury report. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the injury report because coach wants to know who's getting treatment, but he, he knows that so-and-so is getting treatment, but they're practicing completely fine. He just wants to know that that's just how our, that's how our coach is. And, and, but I think it's been great to do that. And I try to encourage that with our guys. So that's mine. Right. It's a really good point. Obi. Yeah. Um, you know, I like that Scott said that I don't, you know, and, and being a part of so many recruiting visits um, every time they bring, you know, the kid and their family, by the ATR, it's always like, well, this is a great facility. You know, we have these things, but you know, you don't want to be in here. It's always like, that's always like the line that they say. And it's, yep. it's just kind of funny that you said that. So, um, but yeah, definitely true. Um, and I think, you know, just to kind of add on to what Scott said, it's, I mean, you're ultimately you are there to get better. Um, you know, part of our job is, you know, to prevent, um, is preventative. So if you're in there to get better, you know, that shouldn't be, um, seen as a negative, but um, as far as what I could change, I think, I mean, just kind of going a different route. I think, uh, you know, as far as our profession, there's still, I think a lot of uh, people just don't really see eye to eye. I know whenever we made the degree change, um, I, I feel like a lot of people were divided and, you know, we don't really, you know, you're, you have strength in numbers. And if, you know, we're not kind of all on the same page as a profession, um, you know, whether that's from the education standpoint or the practice standpoint, I think that's, uh, you know, that's not helping us as a profession. So if we could all just kind of, I don't want to say get along, but um, really, uh, yeah, just get along and, and with the goal of elevating the profession. Absolutely. Steven? Yeah, I, and I think those, every single one of these has been good points. And this one, um, it's kind of something that I've always thought just because like I said, my, my time at the division two level and trying to push into the division one baseball level, which has always been my goal was the kind of the mindset that, Hey, if you don't have division one experience, you can't work at a division one school. Or if you don't have collegiate experience and you're just at a high school, you can't come step into the collegiate setting. I think that mindset is changing um, with the younger generation, my generation, this, the generation below of athletic trainers coming through, but there's still some of that, that mindset with um, some of the older generations that, hey, you don't, you've never worked at this level. You can't work at this level. Well, I've I, been at both levels. Um, it's so far from my experience, athletic training is the same at Division One as it is at Division Two. Um, I did high school rotations when I was a student. It was the same job when I was a student working in a high school as it is working at a division one university. So I think kind of that stigma of, Hey, you don't have division one experience, college experience, professional experience. You can't work at this level. I think that just isn't a great thing that we have in our profession. And it, it, I think it's just something that needs to change. Right on. Allison? 
Yeah, I was going to say basically what everyone else was saying was like the athletic training room is not a scary place. It's almost like a safe haven if you think about it. And just because you're in there doesn't mean you're hurt. You could just be coming in there because you need maintenance work done. And then mm -hmm. you're trying to keep your body healthy instead of, oh, I, I was told I can't go in here. So I'm only going to go come in here when I'm actually really hurting instead of being like, oh, you know, I'm kind of feeling like this, a little bit of pain. I'm going to go in there and just, you know, control it now kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and then just the other thing is just keep advocating for our profession and showing people what we can do, what we're capable of doing and getting everyone to like buy into us. Because I know a lot of times people are like, oh, well, you're not a doctor, so I don't really need to listen to you uh, because they really don't know what education we have, we all have to go through and how much we actually know. Right. All right. Final two here. Back to the top with Nick. Go back to right when you graduate, right when you're coming out of school. What advice would you give to yourself as a young athletic trainer? Never stop asking questions to anybody learn as much as you can about anything. You've, there really is no such thing as a stupid question. If you're thinking about it, chances are somebody else is. So never stop asking questions, regardless of the topic, inside athletic training, outside athletic training. Most of the time you can apply answers to multiple things. Right. Scott? Yep. I mean, I had that down, but I do have another answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, mine was be a sponge, but I mean, it's the same thing. Ask questions and do those things. But mine, mine also, and Allison alluded to it a little bit earlier, is, and I think we're finding out, especially in the COVID era, of so many questions about this and that and everything else, is it's okay to not know an answer and to go look it up or, like Nick said, go ask a question, go ask someone else. Um, at the, you know, and, and I think for me, as a young GA, I went from a D3 school. Steve was talking about it. Like I was a D3 student and then I, I'm in the D1 level and it was like, okay, here you go. This is your team. You're a GA. Um, so for me, it was, I, I tried to know everything, but I know I didn't know everything. So it's okay to not know. Right. Absolutely. Obi, what advice do you have for us? Um, I would just say for me specifically it would be to not second guess yourself so much. Um, I think being a new grad, you, you do want, you don't, you are scared to ask questions and you don't want to be wrong. And, you know, there are times when you do 100% know what you're doing and, you know, what you should do. Um, but it's always, a, it's, you know, definitely a confidence thing. But I would just say trust yourself and not second guess as much. Right. Next, a good piece of advice for sure. I can tell you it's my first year here, running into that a couple of times, but so definitely a good reminder for sure. Steven? Yeah, all three of those were on my list, but um, the other one that I think if I could go back and, and look at myself and tell myself is work doesn't have to consume your life. Um, I've gotten better at it. I'm still not great. Um, but I know for uh, most of my career, my, my job has consumed my life. Um, 
mostly because I let it, you know, there's been days where I've just gone into the office to do something that I really didn't need to go do on a weekend because I just didn't know what else to do and I wanted to get it done. Um, so that, that would be my advice is work doesn't have to consume your life, have a life outside of your job. I think that's some really good advice, especially for us who are baseball athletic trainers running with that 60 game schedule, 50, 60, whatever it might be. That's definitely a good point there. And Allison? I would say never lose um, the desire and the urge to want to keep learning. Um, every, I mean, with our profession, it's constantly growing, constantly changing. We're constantly learning new things and developing new things. So allow yourself to, well, get yourself to want to continue to learn all those things, but also if something new comes out, allow yourself to be like, okay, what I used to do might is probably isn't as beneficial as this new thing. So I'm willing to change my practice and what I normally do because of this new research that has come out. Right. All right. Last question for y'all tonight. Starting up with Nick, this is the big one is, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? So I thought a lot about this question actually. Um, and what I came down with was what I tell my athletes at every, you know, beginning of the year team meeting. Um, in my eyes, we're an advocate for them. Uh, we're supposed to help them in any way that we can, whether it be through a tough time that they're having with school. Um, and that could be pointing them in the right direction of if they need to go see a mental health specialist, if they need to get a tutor, if they just need someone to talk to. Um, if they're injured, advocate for them to the coach to other strength and conditioning professionals. Just help them, be there for them, advocate for them in any way that you can. Absolutely. Scott? I like that. I think one thing for me, I, I'm gonna have a two-part answer because I think all the answers that I've heard tonight with everything, I've realized that, and I hope everybody else does too, like sometimes I feel like I'm the only one thinking in this, in those like, directions but to hear Nick's answers and Obi's and Steven's like to know that other people are on the same track as me um and and colleagues peers in in baseball that are on the same track Allison the same way like it it, it makes me feel comfortable and to know that you're not alone um so I think as an athletic trainer I think that's part of it uh but for me it's being a part of something greater than yourself you're a small part of the team um, to build or teams that you're working with. Um, and you're a huge part. We're all a huge part of, of those teams that we work with. Um, but the goal is successful team, healthy team, you know, successful athletic program, whatever it might be. Um, and you can share in the celebrations and you can, comfort everybody in the in the down times and the in the bad times um but you're you're a part you're a small part of something that's way bigger than yourself right on obi um you know i would say being an athletic trainer is being able to build relationships with people um you know i know you know sometimes i, I don't know if it's you know schooling or you know preceptors however you know whatever it is you know, there's definitely a line that needs to be drawn from a professional and a personal standpoint. And I totally 
Um, you know, totally agree with that. But I think some people are kind of just are a little bit more to one side where they're just really professional and, you know, oh, I don't talk about my family and kids or, you know, whatever it is. And I think that doesn't necessarily help. I think whenever we really get to know our patients, that helps them. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. I think in my experience, experience what I've, I've uh, seen is, you know, I've had guys come in for their, you know, their daily rehab or treatment and they're just not the same for whatever reason. They're just not, there's something there. And it's like, if I didn't ask how daily questions just about their lives, I wouldn't know that they had three exams that day, you know, their girlfriend broke up with them and, you know, their family, you know, lost their dog or something like that. And all those contribute to, you know, to their health. And um, I think, you know, I think it's okay to get to know your patients um, on more than just being an athlete. Awesome. Steven? Yeah, um, and I, I love these answers I've heard. This is one of the things I love about the profession is the people that are in it um, are, are amazing people. All of you guys are too with these answers. Um, but to me, it, it means, like Obi said, building those relationships and being that, at times that person that somebody can go to um, when they're away from family, away from friends, um, that, that kind of beacon of hope at times, you know, we, we see them when they're at their lowest, whether that be an injury or they're struggling, moving away uh, from family, from friends, uh, being away from home and being, having that reputation and building that relationship where they know they can come to you um, no matter what the moment may be and you're there for them um, and sustaining those relationships down the road. I, I still hear from former athletes that I've worked with all the time about things. Hey, I got a question on this because you've built that reputation that, Hey, you're there for them. You care about them. Um, so to me, it's just building those lifelong relationships and being that, that person that they can come to and helping them through their lowest of lows and watching them achieve um, their highest of highs at times. Right. And Allison, last one here. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with everything you guys have said. I mean, to me, it's kind of like we tell like our students and new athletic trainers, the athlete is more than just an injury. They're a person and we are the, and we have to think about it as us too. We're more than just athletic trainers. We could be their mentors, their saving graces, someone that they can come talk to, um, sometimes even become part of their family because, like you said, a lot of them are going across the country or even different countries to go play, so they may be all alone. So you become their support system. And I think once people, as, oh, as athletic trainers, we realize that, we realize how much more important we are and how needed we are. Right. Absolutely. A lot of good advice from all of you. I do want to thank you all again for sharing your time and your experiences here. So that kind of wraps up all the questions we have for you. I just want to make a last call here, see if anything, anyone is anything that sh they wanted to share. If not, um, if people want to reach out to you, what would be the best way to do that? So um, if you have a Twitter handle, Instagram, email. We can link all that stuff up in our episode sheet. Um, but again, if anyone has any last words of advice. 
or else we'll kind of wrap it up here again. Thank you guys for all your time. Hopefully we can do this again soon, especially after uh, bound to be a odd season for all of us, right? Yeah, that, yes, and that, that's what I was going to say is I think with everything going on, you know, I think credit to all of the athletic trainers um, out there working in collegiate or professional sports that are dealing with COVID on a daily basis, testing, uh, contact tracing, whatever it is, uh, just shout out to all of us and give yourselves a pat on the back, give yourselves a, a little bit of praise and for working hard in something that I know my boss told me, he said this in a staff meeting, I don't even know how many weeks ago. Like the bottom line is none of us signed up to work in medicine during a pandemic uh, when we got into it. And I think, you know, we're learning a lot more about ourselves as professionals and as people um, working in medicine. So shout out to everybody for working hard and, and putting in long, crazy hours dealing with, something that we didn't really sign up for to start with. Absolutely. Again, thank all of you for your time tonight. Um, it was a good time. I enjoyed hearing from all of you. Um, and best of luck for the rest of your seasons here. Uh, thanks. thanks. Good luck, guys. Thanks.